This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 through 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and, and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, and he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving, us, giving interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all of the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after the, them are seven years. And the seven empty ears, blighted by the east wind, are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty through all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine. 
and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are, are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. And you shall be over my house, and my, all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Well done, Todd. That was a long passage. Did a great job. Well, you know, I should have learned something from studying this passage. Joseph didn't tell Pharaoh just when the grain comes, just throw it on the floor and let everybody die for it. So uh, I'm so sorry, Isabella. Are you okay? She's not even here. Where is she? There she is. You okay? All right. We won't do that again. So we've come to a turning point in Joseph's story. He's been in Egypt for 13 years now, right? And the dreams that he had had as a, as a young man, a 17-year-old or 16-year-old, were doubted by his brothers and even by his father, are now going to come true. They're now going to be fulfilled. Now, he, he will not know until several years from now when his father and his brothers are on the scene there with him why God did everything that he's done. Right Then, then the final fulfillment of what God's plan was for Joseph will be unfolded for him and remember when his brothers will come and beg him for forgiveness you know in, in chapter 50 Joseph's going to say do not fear for am I in the place of God he said you meant evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive so God's dreams given to Joseph are coming true but as I, I said to the children and I'll say to you our our life is not about Dreaming whatever we can dream and, and, and living for that dream to come true. Our life is about following the Lord and, as, as Peter wrote, live, growing day by day in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that's our job, is to pursue the Lord. And it's His job to make our, uh, our, His dreams for us better, His desires, His plans. God doesn't have to dream stuff. His desires, His plans for us to be brought to fruition as we follow him. Let's look at this passage today under three main points, Dan. Dreams, interpretation, and promotion. All right, so Pharaoh, Pharaoh has two dreams. And in the first, he's standing by the Nile. And in the second, uh, he's standing next to a wheat field. And seven fat cows, that's not one of them, seven fat cows come out of the Nile. Why are in the, why are in the, in the Nile? 
Well, because of bugs and because of heat. Because after all, this is what? It's hot as Egypt where they are. Right behind the seven fat cows come seven skinny and ugly cows, and they eat the fat ones. But as he would tell Joseph later, when the skinny cows eat the fat ones, the skinny cows are still skinny, right? They're still ugly skinny cows. And in the second dream, seven ears of grain are blowing in the wind, in the breeze, fat and happy, when seven skinny ears come along and they are nasty looking. They're blighted by the blistering east wind, the desert wind, and they throw down on these seven plump ears of grain Right, licking their glutinous chops and belching happily. Now, when the Pharaoh woke up, probably the first thing he did was glance at his bedroom door to make sure no maniacal cows are coming through there. He doesn't know what in the world this dream could possibly mean, but you know what? To his credit, or maybe to God's credit, really everything's to God's credit, he knows it means something. God makes sure that Pharaoh knows his dreams are not just what he ate last night, but something important for him to understand. So the Pharaoh calls for the people he would consult on matters such as these. Who are they? We're told they were the magicians and the wise men. The word that Moses uses, Moses used here referred to people who were experts in Egypt in handling spells and understanding magic and using magic and also for those who understand the voluminous the books that have been written on dreams and dream interpretation. That was a very important thing in that day in ancient Egypt. You know, it occurred to me as I'm studying this that more than 400 years later, another pharaoh would summon his magicians to the banks of the same Nile that Moses and Aaron had just turned to blood. I love the, the last part of verse 8. But there was none who could interpret them to pharaoh. Now, now saints, don't miss this. The pharaohs of Egypt were considered the mediator between the people of Egypt and the gods, little g, multiple gods who ruled over Egypt. He was the mediator. Now, we know what Paul said about mediators, right? How many are there between God and man? He said there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But he was the mediator, and after the Pharaoh died, so he could understand what the gods were saying, but after he died, he became a god. And he was literally worshipped by the people of Egypt. So... It's interesting to me, here is the Pharaoh who has a direct line to the gods, but he cannot understand the dream he has, and neither can his dream experts. Why? Because only one can interpret the dreams, the one in whom Pharaoh is going to say himself has the spirit of God. Kings and rulers and governors and congresses and houses of parliament cannot understand the sovereignty of God over all the affairs of his creation. Only those who have the Spirit of God and to whom He reveals what He's doing and what His plans and purposes are. So this is about the time the cupbearer awakes from a two-year-long dream and says, Oh, my goodness, I, I uh, what does he say? I remember my offenses today. Yeah, you think? So he tells Pharaoh everything that he remembers about two years earlier where this Hebrew, he doesn't even know his name, this Hebrew guy in the prison interpreted my dream and the, and the baker's dream. Remember him, Pharaoh? Yeah, may he rest in peace. But he, he interpreted them exactly the way they came to pass. And so the Pharaoh sent his servants to go fetch the young man. Don't miss the language here. Verse 14. They quickly brought him out of the pit. 
or in King James Version, it says dungeon. Guys, Joseph has not been relaxing by the pool at Club Med for the last two years. Not even, I read about this this year, I never, this week, I never heard of these. He wasn't in one of these pay-to-stay jails that I read about in California. Here's a quote from Insider Magazine. Starting at $25 and going up to $250 a night, this program allows certain inmates to move into a less intimidating environment, as one jail in Santa Ana advertises on its website. The conditions differ from an eight-person dorm to one cell with two beds, a television, a phone, and a separate refrigerator. A phone? And a TV? Joseph didn't even have a toilet in the pit he lived in for two years. So Joseph was brought out. Immediately, he gets a shave. He gets a change of clothes. I'm sure he took a shower. Why? Because he's been in Egypt for 13 years. He knows the language. He knows the customs. And facial hair may be okay for Jews. and Hebrews, it was not okay for Egyptians. And so he's not going to stand before the Pharaoh in a way that is going to offend uh, his kingness. So that leads us to interpretation. The Pharaoh greets this young Hebrew stranger fresh out of prison with high praise. Notice three times he's going to use the word you. He says, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, Joseph's response there was not to say, well, you know, Pharaoh, some guys got it, you know, and some don't, just don't. No, he, he almost rebukes the Pharaoh. He corrects the Pharaoh. It's a dangerous thing to do to correct a Pharaoh, right? Especially if he's a little G, little God. He says, it is not in me. And what took us five words in English was one word in Hebrew. That one word means, no, it is not me. Not me. I did not interpret those dreams. And he points the Pharaoh to, to God. I like this because what we see here is humility in Joseph. But we see that humility that stands upon faith, faith in Almighty God. You can't hum- be, be humble unless you are, know where you are and whose you are. If you think you're all that in a bag of donuts, you're not going to be humble. But if you see yourself as standing upon God and His greatness and His power and everything you have is from Him, then you can not only be humble, but the other thing we see here is not just His humility, but His courage. His courage to say no to the Pharaoh, to correct the Pharaoh, to, to change uh, the, his understanding. And it, it reminded me of Psalm uh, 28.1. It said, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Joseph knew that Pharaoh had authority over his life, but not ultimate authority. No one has ultimate authority over your life except whom? Who? God, God's in control. He's numbered your, numbered your days before any one of them came to be. And you say, well, what about those guys who are killed by, by you know, those people that they're trying to witness to in other countries? God knew that too, didn't he? He numbered their days before one of them came to be. He's, he's in control. So then jo- Joseph says something else that could have meant the end of his life. Because he mentions God, big G, to little g. He says with a word of, with a word of insur- assurance that could only have come from the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, remember, he's not heard the dreams yet. He doesn't know what the dreams are. But he says, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. That could be very dangerous to say that without knowing. So I think the Spirit 
spoke to Joseph's conscience at that moment and said, it's okay. Give him the, give him the answer and it's going to be a, tell him it's going to be okay. And he does. So the Pharaoh repeats the dreams. He's already told to his own magicians and didn't, who didn't, couldn't interpret him. And Joseph was able to interpret by the Spirit of God to whom nothing is hidden. And Joseph said, the dreams are one. You dreamed two dreams, Big P, but they both have the same meaning. And this is it. God, God is giving you a, a heads up on what he's about to do. So he proceeds to tell Pharaoh that there will be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and that the future economy of the greatest nation in the world is in the hands of Almighty God. And you dream basically the same dream twice, Pharaoh, because this is going to happen. It is established. It is confirmed. God does not stutter. This is the future. Walter Brueggemann wrote, uh, the dreams took the initiative away from Pharaoh. He was not the subject, but the object, receiving the messages and not generating them. What does that translate to? The Pharaoh was not in charge, even though he thought he was. So again, a reminder, listen, says, no matter how powerful, how prosperous a nation or kingdom on the earth becomes, that nation, that kingdom is absolutely and utterly, completely under the control of sovereign God. And everybody said, amen, and we should say, praise the Lord. That should give us great confidence and courage that if America's going the way that we don't want it to go, it's okay. God's absolutely and utterly in control of this nation. Does that mean we don't do anything? Does that mean we don't pray for revival as we prayed for Wednesday night? No. But ultimately, God is sovereign, and we can trust him because we are his children, and everything is going to work out just fine, even though we might go through some difficult times. So Joseph goes on to suggest a, a proposal. He makes a proposal to Pharaoh. This is his business plan, if you will. This is how you can prepare for this famine. Notice this famine is not described here in the dream or by Joseph as a, as a judgment. This is not God judging Egypt. I mean, we can't make that argument. You could, you could say it might be, but there's no argument to be made here that God's judging Egypt. This is simply one of, as, as Kidner writes, one of life's irregularities. And Joseph points out that a wise manager will ensure against them life's irregularities by taking extra measures if he can see extra hazards. And Joseph, wise beyond his years because of faith, under trial and led by the Spirit of God, he gives the Pharaoh a masterful plan that will save the, the, the nation and in many ways the world. The world's going to come to Egypt during those seven years of famine. He tells him to appoint overseers who will lead a national savings plan, build up a surplus during the feast years to provide for the needs of the famine years. Save 20%, Joseph said. That's the key, Pharaoh. 20%. Store the grain in the cities. So it's a centrally controlled plan, right, in the, in the power center of Egypt, wherever that was. But it's a regionally applied plan. Centrally controlled regional application. The wise manager, whoever that is, Pharaoh, whoever you choose, he's going to team, lead, lead a team of stewards or overseers who will be in these different locations to make sure that the grain is stored and kept dry and kept healthy, stored in these places, 
so that when there is a need for people in those areas, they don't have to travel to the center of Egypt. They go to their cities and they trade or buy the grain. In other words, saints, what's the lesson here for all of us? Save for future times of distress. Because there almost certainly will be future times of distress. This is wisdom from God for countries, for churches, for municipalities, for families, for individuals. I think of it like this. (laughs) Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food in harvest. It stores during plenty. It gathers during plenty so that during the winter, those ants, even though we don't wish they wouldn't, they will continue to survive and thrive and show up at your picnic. You know, the majority of Americans, you know this, live from paycheck to paycheck. We're one of the most prosperous nations in the world. And maybe because of that prosperity, Americans don't save and don't give for the most part and, and live from paycheck to paycheck. And they spend, by, by and large, most Americans spend more than they make. Therefore, they, they aren't saving and their debt level continues to increase. We're supposed to save and give. The Bible's clear on that. Wisdom also is for churches. In 2019, this is from Christian Standard Magazine. In 2019, the average debt for megachurches in America was more than $9.1 million. The average smaller church, and they're calling a smaller church less than 100, and the numbers here uh, that they're using figure about 62 members. The average smaller church of only 62 members has an average debt of $111,600. It's interesting to note, they say, that however, the megachurches and the very small churches have similar levels of debt per worship attendees. So, 9.1 million divided by 5,888 members comes up to 2,021. So, $2,000 per member of a megachurch, they're in debt, and $1,800 per member of a small, very small church of 62 members, they're in debt. What's all that? What does that have to do with anything? Well, I think God's principles here that Joseph was giving to Egypt, to the Pharaoh, God's principles in Proverbs, God's principles in the New Testament for saving and giving are applicable to our own lives. Well, that comes to the last point, and this is the shortest one, promotion. I love Pharaoh's question in, to his servants in verse 37. Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Again, this is the Pharaoh. He's the mediator between the gods and the people of Egypt. He's going to be a god one day when he dies, or at least he thinks he will. And he's saying, can we find a man like this man, a Hebrew, who believes in this one God that we reject, but he has the spirit of that God in him? It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing, unthinkable for a Pharaoh of Egypt to say that about a Hebrew, a Hebrew of all people. They were despised by Egyptians. How does Pharaoh come to this knowledge, this understanding? Same way Caiaphas was able to say to the chief priests and Pharisees years later, it's better for you that one man should die for his people. He was exactly right, wasn't he? The point is both men came to their knowledge by the by the power of God working in them 
at least for that moment, in spite of their unbelief. God can use unbelievers, can he? Yes, he can use them. Now, being a believer is much, much, much better. We have an eternity before us. But God uses even the pagans, even the unbelievers, even the scoffers, the mockers, to say things sometimes and to, to promote truth sometimes that we Christians should take heed to as well. So what's the end of it? Joseph was made the vizier, V-I-Z-I-E-R. That was the, the certain title for him. Or the grand steward of all Egypt, according to a document found in an ancient Egyptian tomb. They wrote about this man named Joseph, a Hebrew. And they said he was made the grand steward of all, of all the nation. Pharaoh says the same thing to Joseph that Potiphar said to him when he was in his house. That the captain of the guard said to him when he was in prison. He said, hey, you're in charge. Right? You're in charge of the land. You're in charge of the people. You're in charge of my household. And the Pharaoh says, it's only when it's matters of the throne. Joseph, you can't sit on the throne. That's, that's me. That's just me. But you got, you got everything else under your control. It's an amazing story of God's favor shown to one man who'd gone through suffering and trials and remained faithful to him. God made his dreams, his plans for Joseph can come true. All right, what can we take away from this? Number one, nations rise and fall and cannot understand the purposes of God over the affairs of men and women. They simply can't. We rail against our government, but, but government is, is, is not going to understand the, the things of God. Individuals in the government can. That's why we need to pray for God to raise up individuals in the government around us, the municipalities and the state government and the federal governments, of course. And we need young men in this, and women in this congregation to think about running for those places of power and authority one day. But God will make that happen in your life if, he's, if, if he wants that for you. Number two, God uses his people to explain his purposes even to nations and kingdoms and in every sphere of influence in which he places us. You have a sphere of influence in your life that I don't have and that nobody else in this room has. And God has placed you there for the very purpose of being an example of what Jesus looks like if he were in your place, working your job, living in your community, doing the things that you do uh, as, a, as a, a person of faith. How would Jesus uh, be an HVAC contractor? How would Jesus be an accountant, right? Or the tax manager or an engineer at a metals company? How would Jesus do that? Because he's placed you there and in other spheres of influence, AFA and other places, where you can show people, hey, this is how Jesus does it. This is how he does it. And we, we explain the purposes of God by living out those places of, position, of authority. We can trust God to give us the wisdom we need when we are in a position to represent him in the world. Doesn't mean we just, we just kind of wait for that to fall from heaven upon us. How do we learn the ways of God? From his word. From his word. We, we, become, we become students more and more and more of his word. And God gives us greater understanding as to how to answer that person at, at the job place or in the community or at the hospital or wherever we are. When they have a question about what does it mean to be like Jesus. It's an incredible opportunity he's given every one of us. Children, you're not exempt from this. God uses the very young. Joseph was 17 years old. 
when God said, all right, I'm going to send you through 13 years of things you will not understand whatsoever, but if, you'll, if you continue to trust me and be faithful, he said, I'm going to make things happen that uh, will change the world. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this story as we have been following with Joseph um, for the last several weeks, and now we, we see that he's in position, and we look forward to seeing the rest of the story and being reminded of how you orchestrate the affairs of men and women. You hold nations and governments in your hand. You rule and overrule and are sovereign over everything in our lives. And help us, Lord, uh, not to be conf- confused or overwhelmed by that knowledge, but, be, but to be thankful because of that knowledge and to be encouraged by that knowledge that we're simply part of your plan and we have a job to do as um, um, an op- uh, as a representative of Jesus Christ in our job, in our community, in this church, and wherever we go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.